1: Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. And I always appreciate when you take time to listen and to really become the best version of who God has you to be. And I'm so thankful that we have this venue, that we get to use radio in this way. And I'm so also thankful for all the people at the station that are so helpful. Jeremy, my wonderful producer, is very patient with me, which I always appreciate. So thank you for joining the show. And I want you to know that every week I send out um, an email that is packed with inspiration, resources to help you. And you can just sign up for that link in my bio. You also I have also created a workbook and it's called How to Be Your Own Change Agent. And it provides really deep insights into what's holding you back and empowers you to make a major shift in your life. So I want you to grab a copy from the link in my bio there. So Again, we are really all about wanting to be your own best version. See, nobody, I I tell people repeatedly, nobody can mess up like I can, and nobody can succeed like I can. It may be similar, but we are all unique. And so today, I wanted to really dive into this idea about codependency, because (laughs) this is not going away. You know, codependency is just this kind of natural human phenomenon. And so the best way to learn relationship, obviously, is, is from the one who created it. That, that's God. He is the ultimate relator. He knows how to relate perfectly. He doesn't lose himself in the process, nor is he controlling or anxious or worried when he has to say no, right? He is sure when he says no, although, you know, he is often willing to negotiate. Also, we, we know God is not codependent. So, God is the creator of relationships, and as a result, he lives to relate. This is one of the primary reasons he created humans. So, it's paramount that we understand that to be human is to be in relationship. So, humans are made to relate, they become very sick, and really, they can even die if they don't relate. And we get this, 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 um, condition that people have if they are not relating to humans. And it's this, you know, it's called failure to thrive. I'm sure you've heard about that before. And this doesn't always mean that relating is positive. We have people that survive simply because they have a negative relationship. And so even a negative relationship can almost be supportive. It's just that it's also degrading. So when we look at the fact that it's impossible to not relate, I want you to think about inanimate objects. You know, do you name inanimate objects? Do you have stuffed animals? Right? How do you talk to your plants? How about your car? Did you name your car? (laughs) So, you know, we have this tendency to want to make everything around us animated. That that we want it to be alive. And so the problem with relating is that. It doesn't always mean it's going to be positive. But that doesn't mean that it's not imperative to do. So when you think about animals and how they relate, you know, you get a new pet. Don't you learn how to interact with that pet? You know, we had got this new cat a couple years ago, and she's the quietest cat I have ever had, the quietest animal, and just doesn't, doesn't even want to go outside. She just is like this object that looks pretty. And occasionally we'll get a teeny tiny meow out of her. And so we had to learn how to relate to this kitten. And now she is a cat and she is kind of a strange cat. I haven't had one like her before, but everything is unique that God makes. So even being angry at someone can keep some people alive. So think about that for a moment. If I feel angry towards someone, that gives me energy, not necessarily positive energy, but energy. So what we find is that this codependent relationship, it may keep us alive, even if it's, you know, a negative one, but it does not cause us to thrive. See, instead, codependent relationships actually steal our identity, steals our energy, Steals our sense of well-being, our self-worth, our hope, our sense of control over our own lives. And, and it really affects our self-confidence. See, basically, codependency is this issue of identity. And, and the way that I like to explain it, or maybe I should say the way I have found, is that codependency can be understood overall as the idea that I am dependent on people, places, and things to define and support my identity. So I'm going to say that again. I'm dependent on people, places, and things to define and support my identity. So let's look at that a little bit. I'm dependent on people. Well, think about how you feel if someone ignores you. Think about how you feel if the person you thought you're having a really good relationship with won't call you back. How about these things? We have these things that support us and that cause us to feel better about ourselves. So our car, our house, our clothes, our jewelry, our hair, who we know, whatever it may be that seems to prop us up so that we feel more valued. And so the origination of this concept, it really began in the 1970s when we were doing a lot of treatment with alcoholics. And it was applied to family members when, it, when there was an addict in their family. And so what it started out as, the alcoholic is dependent on alcohol, the family is dependent on the alcoholic. And what that means is not not necessarily dependent on them even making money, but their happiness is dependent upon whether or not that person will stop drinking. And so the overriding theory of codependency is one of early childhood dependency. And these are needs that are being unmet, it leads to what we call abandonment issues. And it further causes the individual to be dependent on someone else. And this then results in a person having identity issues due to the inability to discover and develop a healthy identity due to the lack of healthy early childhood dependency. So what does that mean? Well, we've talked about the power of being seen and if while we're growing up, we're only seen, praised, whatever, loved, felt loved, if we were perfect, if we did the right thing. So what would happen is that part of us that's insecure, that maybe wants to act out, that struggles with doing the right thing, we have to hide that part of ourselves and present this person we think will then garner love from others. And so wh- where does this leave us? Well, you see, the bottom line is, I I need to develop healthy identity in order to have healthy intimacy, and to really be what God truly created me to be. Otherwise, I will be searching outside of myself for approval, validation, security, direction, right? All those things, and which which ends up happening that I give unhealthy and inordinate amount of power. To other people so they have more power over me even than God and they determine whether or not I'm okay so I depend on the interaction that I have with someone to make sure that when I leave I feel okay and so how many of us I'm I'm included walk away from conversation and we go oh why did I say that I can't believe I acted that way oh my gosh what are they going to think about me I should have done this. I could have done this. If only I would have done that. And we go around and around and around in our mind, thinking of all the ways that we should have done something. And then worrying, right, for how long? About what is going on with that other person. So that when we meet that other person again, we see them. We're worried and think, okay, I hope I'm okay with them. So this may sound over-exaggerated, but actually if you really think about it, this is how we feel. This is what humans do. And so sometimes if we get tired of feeling that, we go to the other extreme and we say, yeah, I'm needless, wantless. I don't need anybody ever again. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Um, I don't, I'm not going to interact. I don't even want to put myself out there. That never lasts very long. And if it does, it creates illness because this is not the way humans are made so what this really has to do with is when I give this unhealthy or inordinate amount of power you know and that they have power over me as to whether or not I'm okay I then need to prove to people that I'm lovable and so I might change myself in all kinds of ways just to be accepted I do everything possible to avoid feeling the pain of feeling unlovable Or really thinking that, man, there must be something dreadfully wrong with me. i got to get my act together. So all this really comes from the perspective of that childlike part of us. If I did not get these primary dependency needs met, and that's from the age of 0 to 12, then I struggle with actually being independent and then moving toward interdependent. And I become what, what therapists call this as counterdependent. Or codependent so it means I'm going to be needless wantless I don't depend on anybody or become codependent and I worry all the time if I'm okay am I okay with them did I act stupid did I say the wrong thing so we have four types of what we call dependency so we have dependence and that is child on parents that's a natural normal dependency Animals, if we have pets, they're dependent on us. Then we have independency. And that means I can independently go out and make decisions. So we're going to start in this next segment with really looking at these different types of dependency. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Well, welcome back you're listening to conversations with cynthia i'm cynthia hyatt your host thank you for joining me today if you're just tuning in make sure you go to whatever your favorite podcast server is and you can listen to this show in its entirety so we are talking about this idea of codependency and what comes with codependency oftentimes is conflict and avoidance and so what we want to think about is when i understand that humans are mammals, and they are then dependent. These are dependent creatures. What it means is that we fail to thrive if we are not with others like us. And so this is why, you know, you, you, you remember that uh, movie, The Long Mile, or I think it was The Long Mile, and the, the guy that was in jail had a pet mouse, And he loved this pet mouse and it gave him so much, just good feelings. And one of the ways that they really destroyed him without even touching him was they killed his little mouse. And so you understand that humans crave this connection with other red blooded mammals, which is why we love pets. So we were talking in this last segment about dependency and dependency we all have when we are ages from at least zero to 12. Now, 12 is the age of accountability. This is why we let uh, 12-year-olds babysit. So 0 to 12, we really are completely dependent on the people that are taking care of us. Once we really manage dependency and we grow up some, we're supposed to move to independency. And independency means that I can do things on my own. I can figure things out. This is when we as teenagers got a driver's license or we went away to college. And then we maybe date and get married and have children. So we are being independent. We're not depending on caregivers to make sure that we're safe and okay. So from independent, what I like to work with clients about is moving toward this different type of dependency that's called interdependency. And interdependency means, yeah, I can depend on myself completely. I don't need necessarily to have other people all the time. But being interdependent makes the load a lot lighter. So I have interdependency on my assistants. Now, the things that they do, I could probably figure out how to do and learn how to do it. But I don't really like it. They like doing it. So the interdependency says, wow, I have found assistants that like to do these necessary things that I don't like to do, and they do them very well. And it makes this whole thing work better. So interdependency says, I can lighten the load, but if you leave, I still can bear the load. So I'm going to say that one more time. Interdependency means that I... I combine with another person, and we lighten the load. If that person has to leave, I am still able to manage the load. That's interdependency. So those three things are very healthy, very natural for us to do. The one we're going to talk more about today is what we call counterdependency or codependency. So counterdependency looks like people, when people have addictions— uh, when people have different kinds of proclivities that they are participating in that aren't healthy for them Counterdependency means I'm depending on something to make me feel good, but it also is unhealthy for me to do So it's serving a great purpose, but it's actually creating a bigger dependence and it's actually cr- Building and digging a deeper hole for me So counterdependency can be a very serious situation And then we have the famous codependency. So what is really this codependency piece? Well, when I've been studying this over all the many years I've done this, I really realized that codependency is kind of part of the American culture. It's some of the way that America had started. And so when we think about the primary characteristics of codependency, it's always going to be about pain management. See, I'm going to try to find something to ease the pain. And so that either means helping me with a load. That either means taking something from me. That means giving me something that's comforting. So it's this pain management. It's like a little kid in a very big world. And that we look at all these things through the eyes of a child. So many times when we look at codependency or counterdependency, We see some immaturity and this is not this is not in any way a slam to anybody this is part of the process of becoming fully alive and so when we do that little child part of us and we have that inner child doing the adult world we're going to have a lot of pain it's going to be a very heavy load to bear so what happens with people that struggle with codependency is they oftentimes get this warped sense of responsibility. What does that that mean? It means, you know, this sentence of, I don't know where the other ends and I begin. So all of a sudden, our identities, our, our, our way of being now becomes enmeshed. And I'm not sure where you end and I begin. So if you're mad, then I'm mad. If you're happy, then I'm happy. And so this, this kind of weird thing where we let somebody have much more power over us than they're supposed to, and we think that your feelings are all about me. So I have to make sure that I keep being whoever it is that I think I'm supposed to be, even if it's not authentic, so that you can be happy, because if you're happy, then I can be happy. And we can't get our happiness or our sense of security or sense of goodness or peace serenity by ourselves. We only get it from another person, another source. That's why the counter-dependency can also be where we talk about addictions. So if I'm not being counter-dependent on a person, I might be counter-dependent on a substance. So we get this warped sense of responsibility that your feelings are all about me and I'm going to have a hard time having fun because I can't relax because I'm having to manage so many things. People that struggle with codependency also have a lack of objectivity. See, when we think about inner child issues, think about the people that make something way bigger than it is, way bigger. And you're thinking, are they really going this far with that? It's really not that big of a deal. But their whole world has stopped because of this incident. And so there's a difficulty with objectivity. And there's a difficulty with how they see the world, and they may see the world through the eyes of a child. People that struggle with codependency are always feeling controlled, and then they need to be in control. So they're also doing a lot of image management. They're making sure that they don't offend anybody in any way and that they are acceptable to everybody so they can feel safe. Now, I don't want you to think that this is somehow weak people. Because these people are some of the strongest people we know. They're just using their strength in an unhealthy way. And this is, we're all prone to this in, at one level or another. And so when you think about this issue of, I'm always feeling controlled, and I'm trying to be in control, and I'm trying to make sure that I manage how you perceive me, and I'm putting a lot of effort and work into that. So I can't really enjoy the time I'm having with you. So when you consider that, I want you to just, you know, keep listening because we're going to talk more about this kind of as a, it's kind of a national uh, practice that we do. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about codependency. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. And we are talking today about codependency and conflict avoidance. And so if you're just tuning in, I want to make sure that you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. We have lots of things there for you. We have some handouts. We also have a, a little mini workbook for free, and that's called How to Be Your Own Change Agent. And it provides some really deep insights into what may be holding you back and empowers you to make some major shift changes in your life. So that's kind of what we're doing in today's show when we talk about codependency. Now this has been around for a long time. This came about in the 70s, maybe even as late, as early as the 60s in some ways. But this has really taken off and is really apparent to many of us as the way that we live our lifestyle. And so we were talking about the primary characteristics of codependency. And what we found is that this is like a warped sense of responsibility. It's like, I don't know where, where I end and you begin. And so I think I have more power than I really do, or I think I have less power than I actually do. And your feelings, how you are feeling, always have a tendency to be about me. Now, I'm not saying that I say that out loud, but if you're sad, I think, what did I do? I did something wrong. If you're mad, I think, oh no, I messed up. And so this is where we want to recognize boundaries. And we've talked about boundaries on this show before. But I want you to think about some of these other issues that that show us that we are struggling with some of this codependent behavior. And one of the biggest ones, hypersensitivity to criticism. Codependent people are working so hard to be so perfect so that they always get good feelings from other people that if we criticize anything or disapprove of something, it becomes like a death blow. And it becomes a very serious feeling. They have then a lack of self-confidence. They have difficulty with decision-making because they don't wanna make anyone mad. They want to please you, but maybe if they please you, they're not pleasing themselves. So they have a difficult time with with power in decision-making. How do I really make the right decision? And so even very small decisions can feel very overwhelming. They also have a constant, you know, need for approval and affirmation. And so they end up compromising and maybe even betraying themselves. And as you're hearing this, I want you to know, I absolutely struggled with this growing up. I had to learn about this and I had to really recover from it because I'm a very relational person. So I can easily fall into codependency. I pick up on people's feelings very quickly. I care deeply for them. So I had to really learn this whole concept of codependency and saying, I'm not helping anybody. Not not only am I not helping myself, I'm not even helping them. So there's this tendency to have a lot of confusion and a sense of inadequacy. It's like, I'm trying so hard, why do I feel so inadequate? And there's a tendency to look for others to fix or care for. Because maybe if I do that, it shows that I'm a good person. It's like a little kid trying to make my world safe And this may be what I learned as well as a way to secure my childhood. So there also is this tendency to believe that others are the cause or they're responsible for my feelings and choices. Now see, the reason that would happen is if I think that I'm responsible for somebody else's feelings and choices, well then I guess they must be responsible for mine as well. So we end up with some rigidity A lot of need for control. Safety, feeling secure is super important. And we can actually have physical illnesses, depression, high blood pressure, headaches, backaches. I mean, it really does a number on our entire body. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of adrenaline that we have going through our body when we are thinking in these ways. So what I want you to know more than anything if you're codependent, you're probably a really good person because people that struggle with codependency care a lot and they really want the world to go well and they really don't want harm. So there is a way to do this when we wor- really work on that adult part of ourselves that says, this is where I end and you begin. So I have no control over where you begin. I need to do my side of the street, and if I do my side of the street well, I hope you benefit from it. But I can't cross the street and do your side of the street for you. And this is why it's tough, because those of us that have a heart, right, and that's the majority of humans, we don't like to see people in pain, and we do like to help. We're relational beings. We enjoy community. So it makes it tough when we are having to really work on where do we put those boundaries where have i crossed the line where have i let you cross the line in my life so this is cynthia hyatt with conversations with cynthia join me in the last segment as we talk more about rules and statements that codependencies may relate to welcome back you're listening to conversations with Cynthia I'm Cynthia Hyatt your host make sure you check out the website at Cynthia lots of things there that are available for you as you work on being the best version of you so we're talking about this codependency um, issue that is probably going to be around forever (laughs) I mean it's I can find you know codependent behaviors in the Bible so we know that this is kind of this is very common to humans And so when we hear things like, others' needs are more important than my needs. Okay, that's a red flag. How about this one? I believe it's selfish to take care of myself. Another huge red flag. How about this? I don't like to talk. I don't trust anybody and I don't want to feel anything. Huge red flag here. So how about this one? If I don't take care of someone else, bad things will happen to me right? Like, I'm somehow this selfish person. And I now people are going to start not caring about me. Or what about this, I feel like it's my job to fix other people's problems, like my mom, my friends, my co workers, maybe my spouse, my partner. And a lot of that comes from this is a childlike way of viewing relationships. It's innocent, absolutely. But it's very taxing, it's very overwhelming. So I want you to ask yourself, do you feel insecure or suspicious or guilty when someone actually gives to you or helps you? How about this? Do you feel compelled to help people solve their problems or take care of their own feelings? Do you feel responsible for other people? Do you feel responsible for their feelings, their thoughts, their actions, their choices, their wants? How about their well-being or their destiny, right? Like we don't want them to be in in any kind of pain of any kind. Or maybe, do you find it easier to express or feel anger about injustices done to someone else, but not you? Maybe you'll hold the cause for somebody else, but you won't for yourself, because maybe somehow that's selfish. So do you feel empty or bored or worthless if you don't have someone else to take care of, or a problem, or a crisis to deal with? And how often are you unable to stop talking, stop thinking, and stop worrying about other people and their problems? Is the focus always outside of you? So do you lose interest in your own life when you're in love? So does the object of your love become the object of everything? Maybe you stay in relationships that don't work and you tolerate abuse in order to keep people loving you. Maybe, I don't know, you're afraid of people's anger, their dislike, their disapproval, or their misperception of you. Do you leave bad relationships only to form new ones that don't work? So do you keep recycling, even though it's a different person, it's the same dance, different person? So here's what I want you to think about. This is a foundational truth that is very important to really take in, and that is that relationships are unavoidable. However, unhealthy relationships and unsuccessful relationships can oftentimes be avoided, but not without a lot of work. And see, when God said in Genesis chapter 2 verse 10, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He knew what he was talking about. He knew that humans need humans. See, Adam was perfect when God stated this. And his relationship was perfect with God. And God still said it's not good for him to be alone. So it's easy to understand why it's so painful when our relationships are unsuccessful. We're created as relational beings and it's instinctual and very natural and necessary for our emotional health. So when God introduced Adam to his first relationship, everything was perfect. So we can conclude that having a successful relationship with yourself and God is imperative for a healthy relationship outside of God and yourself. So let's look at this this issue here, which really can be confusing sometimes. What's the difference between relating and intimacy? So I'm gonna give you some examples. Relating is the understanding of knowledge resulting in a connection that's either positive or negative with or without agreement. So I can relate to the person at the grocery store. So relating means to tell a story, to narrate, to connect, to have some connection or relation to. And when we talk about relational, we're saying, hey, this connection has thought and meaning. Or maybe the connection is by blood or marriage. Or maybe this is a connection that we've chosen. So the word relate or relating or relation, it does not include the concept or the idea of intimacy. See, it consistently includes the words narrate or narrative, thought a connection through blood, through person. So relating to somebody can lead to intimacy. But relating with people, you know, in the grocery store, while you're driving, at work, that that may not include intimacy. See, intimacy is most private or personal. It's very close or familiar. It's deep. The intimacy is deep. Closeness, familiarity, confidence, right? I'm confident in this person. I can give them my confidences. It's confidential. It's a constant companion, a close friend. Maybe I feel about this person very, you know, I could be informal with them. I'm very familiar with them. I don't feel like I have to practice reserve with them. And so what we want to ask ourselves is, how do we relate to ourselves and to others? See, we all have to learn how to do this. And many times what happens is, if we don't relate well to ourselves, we're not going to relate well to others. So as we grow, we learn from our parents and others how to relate. And we then develop what we call an emotional language. And think about, you know, the I Love Lucy show. You know, Ricky Ricardo, when he got mad, he started speaking in his native tongue, which was Spanish. So if you've been in relationship with friends or loved one, you know, someone that is a love interest, and things get sort of tense, you might find yourself reverting back to the way your family relates. And you may have to say to yourself, wait, I don't want to relate the way that I was raised. So let me give you a definition, definition of intimacy. This is what, it's, this is what they define it as. The joyful union that comes when two people learn together how to give love and how to accept love. That's intimacy. It's joyful. It's a union. And it's two people learning together how to love and accept love. Now, dysfunctional love. Because, see, dysfunctional can still be very loving. It just doesn't feel very good. See, in a dysfunctional love relationship, the love's out of balance. And what happens is we're loving the other too much while loving ourselves too little. So God is the perfect example of relating. And think about this idea between, this difference between relating and intimacy. Because that has a lot to do with what gets in the way of our relationships. Are we just trying to be who we think they want us to be so that I maybe can have intimacy later on? The problem is if I do that, they're thinking they're re- relating and having intimacy with one person and then they start to find out that wow, there's a lot more to this person. now. Many times that's a, that's a good wow. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes we're like, I never signed up for this. I didn't know anything about this. That's not what they showed me when we were first dating or the first six months. So we have to recognize that the more we are relators and really don't know how to do intimacy well, we give the false sense of intimacy. People think they know us, but they're actually relating to us. So let's think about this last thing. And this is super important for anyone that struggles with codependency. And I haven't heard very many people address this issue. But I want you to think about what is conflict avoidance? Because, see, this doesn't do you any favors. And conflict avoidance is a big part of codependency. So what is it? So imagine the scenario. You've been working hard on a presentation for several weeks, spending lots of hours trying to get everything just right. Right. You know, you've overseen every detail, every, you know, person you've prepared for today's meeting with your boss. And think about this. A coworker interjecting and takes all the credit for your work. So, instead of being in touch with your anger, which you rightly should be angry and speaking up, you choose to silently withdraw. So, being conflict avoidant means exactly that, being afraid of possible disagreements at all costs. And codependency is rife with that. We're so afraid the relationship is so fragile that if we say anything and they get mad or upset, then the relationship will be over. And so we avoid disagreements at all costs. But what does that mean? It means we're not being honest in that relationship. It means that the person that they think they know isn't really who they know. Because I'm trying to be someone that I think will be accepted. Or that I'm trying to be someone I think they will love. So aside from work life, avoiding conflict can really manifest in all of our relationships. Friendships, romantic relationships, family dynamics. How many of you have, I mean, I'm with you on this. Family conflicts, oh my gosh, they're brutal. And so I have to many times decide, do I want to to really dive into this conflict or do I want to just avoid it and I have to think about what is best for me first and foremost because I need to survive that moment and then I have to think about what am I actually trying to do here why do I want to jump into this and address this conflict what what uh, what is going on inside of me what are my motives because when I start to recognize that I can realize whether or not my motives are healthy or unhealthy so conflict avoidant people are kind of people pleasing people that's the behavior that they do and it typically arises from a deep-rooted fear of upsetting other people this is the codependency part see in many of these tendencies can be traced back to growing up in an environment that was maybe dismissive or hypercritical so people who respond to conflict this way often expect negative outcomes, and they find it very difficult to trust the other person's reaction. So what we find is that we're trying to be this good person. We don't want to argue, but what happens is we start to be then, not as, as the person that we really want to be, the person that is, is actually honest about who they are and what they need. And so what we need to really work on is making a plan. And really understanding. And what I recommend to people, and I have practiced this in my own life, I practice talking to people before I talk to them. I might talk to myself in the mirror. I might talk to myself while I'm driving. And I'll say, hey, that's what I really need to say. Or that, no, I'm not going to say that. That would not be helpful. And I rehearse it so that when I'm rehearsing it, I feel the words in my mouth and I feel so much more confident than when I say it. And I'm not trying to take it all back and and say, oh, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. So I'm more prepared. So I want you to practice. I want you to show up as the best version of you. This is how you recognize and manage feelings. And I want you to really understand that you have something to say. You have something to give this world and all the relationships that you're in. And I want you to know where you end and other people begin. And I want you to recognize that when you know where you end and they begin, you are better able to know what you can change and what you need to accept. I've told you many times on this show, acceptance is the key to all my problems. And just because I accept something doesn't mean I agree with it. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for being with me today. God bless you. And I look forward to talking to you next week.